This is New Testament Character Study 31, The Mother and the Seven Brothers. I must make a quick confession. These are not New Testament characters at all. But they're not Old Testament either. But they're referred to in the New Testament, and so I include them there. Let's begin in Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and scourging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering over deserts and mountains and the dens and caves of the earth. Hebrews 11 is frequently called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It catalogues numerous men and women whose faith was borne out by uh, their actions. And this chapter mentions many of them by name, but others only by allusion. Some of these characters are known in the Bible, others from extra-biblical sources meaning sources outside the Bible. Well, the courageous martyr, about whom we just read, was sawn in two, and that's Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was traditionally executed by Manasseh. And that, there's a source for that. It's in the book called The Martyrdom of Isaiah, chapter 1 and chapter 5. It's also recorded in the Talmud. But probably the best-known, most colorful instance the Hebrew writer refers to is found in verse 35 where it says some were tortured refusing to accept release that they might rise to a better life or your version may say that they might attain to a better resurrection this is a clear allusion to the apocryphal book of 2nd Maccabees in 2nd Maccabees 7 we find the moving story of a family of eight who take their stand on the God of Israel, refusing to be released. And this story has been a constant source of inspiration for devout Jews ever since the second century BC. To appreciate this passage, and really to appreciate most biblical passages, you have to know something of the context. This is in the period between the Testaments, usually called the Intertestamental Period. The Persian Empire no longer rules, as they did at the end of the Old Testament. Alexander the Great has come on the scene with his Macedonian or Greek Empire, and that itself has started to crumble and split into other groups. The Romans are rising up, but they're not the premier power on Earth or the Mediterranean world, not yet. So in the Holy Land, there's an evil governor whose name is 
Antiochus Epiphanes IV. <laughs> Antiochus, like the city Antioch, there are many Antiochs in the Bible. Epiphanes, which means God manifest. He claimed actually to be God, and he was the fourth. And he's foretold in Daniel 11. And this creep insisted on divine honors. He had no sensitivity to or tolerance for Judaism, none. In fact, he put the Jews under heavy pressure to conform to pagan society, to be Greek, to use Greek language, to follow Greek fashion, to engage in Greek sports, a culture like the theater, idolatry. Circumcision was prohibited under pain of death. You circumcised your, your baby, your dead baby would be hung around your neck. He pushed the Jews to violate the Sabbath and to violate the kosher laws, particularly to eat uh, pig flesh, to eat the flesh of swine. Now, of course, some Jews gave in. They thought, well, we have to be all things to all men. We have to be relatable. No point in getting ourselves all killed. But others refused. And this led to a revolution, the 2nd century B.C. Maccabean Revolt. It was the greatest political upheaval between the Testaments. So the Old Testament ends around the year 400 B.C. The New Testament begins with the birth of John the Baptist. So this is a few years B.C. But so much happens in that intervening period. Judas the Hammer, Judas Maccabee, is the leader of the revolt. The revolution is successful. And for the period of about a hundred years, the Jews enjoy political autonomy. And I think one reason is that the heirs to the fractured kingdom of Alexander the Great, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, could not hold on to Judea. They just couldn't keep it. So the Jews had their autonomy. And there's a, a Jewish dynasty, the Hasmoneans, who sit on the throne. In that period, there's even a Jewish queen, Queen Alexandra. See what you're missing if you only read the Old and New Testament? Okay. This comes to an end when the Romans seize control in 63 B.C. And they were gradually eclipsing the Greeks from the 2nd to the 1st centuries B.C. So the Romans ruled Jerusalem all the way until 614 A.D. So from 63 B.C. to 614 A.D. when it's captured by the Persians. And then the Muslims take Jerusalem uh, in 638. And during this century of Jewish rule, back to the 2nd century B.C., the monarchy and the priesthood um, are entangled with each other and, and horribly corrupt. And the lascivious and equivocating Herod the Great appeals directly to Augustus Caesar. He goes to Rome, makes himself um, the, an embassy. He solidifies his position as king of the Jews. He makes a deal with the emperor. And the priesthood has, by this point, become a sham. And men of faith long for the spirit of the days of the Maccabean martyrs, those people who'd rather die than, than capitulate. And in that uh, spirit, many Jews wistfully read the books of First and Second Maccabees. And you should, too. I recommend you read that uh, once you understand the Old Testament background. My, my advice, this is just my opinion, when you've read the entire Old Testament five to ten times through, then um, it would be good to look at the intertestamental literature because it shows you how the testaments are connected and 
what was in the the culture, what were the shared thoughts and dreams of the Jewish people. Okay, enough history. The story I'm about to read from 2 Maccabees chapter 7 speaks for itself. I will try to keep my commentary to a minimum, but there will be some. So this time, some Jews believed in resurrection only for the righteous. Other Jews believed that the wicked would be resurrected and then they'd be destroyed in the fire, while the righteous would be resurrected to everlasting life. There were, in other words, different views about the afterlife among the Jews. They didn't have one homogeneous position. And you'll notice that the seventh son in the story to follow warns Antiochus of judgment, not of infinite hell. And just like the Christians in the first four centuries, Jews at this time held several different positions on the nature and duration of hell. There was no one official uh, version. And you will detect a trace of a patriarchal attitude in the text. If this bothers you, remember that this passage in 2 Maccabees actually lifts up women as a worthy example for us all. And there are times when the government demands absolute allegiance, yet we must refuse. And now to our passage. It happened also that seven brothers and their mother were arrested and were being compelled by the king under torture with whips and cords to partake of unlawful swine's flesh. One of them, acting as their spokesman, said, What do you intend to ask and learn from us? For we are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our fathers. The king fell into a rage and gave orders that pans and cauldrons be heated. These were heated immediately, and he commanded that the tongue of their spokesman be cut out, and that they scalp him and cut off his hands and feet, while the rest of the brothers and the mother looked on. When he was utterly helpless, the king ordered them to take him to the fire, still breathing, and to fry him in a pan. The smoke from the pan spread widely, but the brothers and their mother encouraged one another to die nobly, saying, The Lord God is watching over us, and in truth has compassion on us. As Moses declared in his song, which he bore against which he bore witness against the people to their faces when he said, and he will have compassion on his servants. Let me pause here. Can you see what's going on? There's a clash between this faithful family of Jews and a government that is totalitarian. It insists on total obedience and cannot uh, brook any challenge to its authority. Let's continue our story. After the first brother had died in this way, they brought forward the second for their sport. They tore off the skin of his head with the hair, and they asked him, Will you eat, rather than have your body punished limb by limb? That is, they're, they're uh, trying to force him to eat uh, pork. He replied in the language of his fathers, and said to them, No. Therefore, he in turn underwent tortures as the first brother had done. And when he was at his last breath, he said, You accursed wretch, 
you dismiss us from this present life, but the King of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life because we have died for his laws. After him, the third son was the victim of their sport. When it was demanded, he quickly stuck out his tongue and courageously stretched forth his hands and said nobly, I got these from heaven, and because of his laws I disdain them, and from him I hope to get them back again. And as a result, the king himself and those with him were astonished at the young man's spirit, since he regarded his sufferings as nothing. When he too had died, they maltreated and tortured the fourth in the same way. And when he was near death, he said, One cannot but choose to die at the hands of men, and to cherish the hope that God gives of being raised again by him. But for you there will be no resurrection to life. Next they brought forward the fifth and maltreated him. But he looked at the king and said, Because you have authority among men, mortal though you are, you do what you please, but do not think that God has forsaken our people. Keep on and see how his mighty power will torture you and your descendants. And after him they brought forward the sixth. And when he was about to die, he said, Do not deceive yourself in vain, for we are suffering these things on our own account, because of our sins against our own God. Therefore, astounding things have happened, but do not think that you will go unpunished for having tried to fight against God. (laughs) This is a mind-blowing story, isn't it? Now you see why I wanted to do a podcast on it. Let's go now to the mother. The mother was especially admirable and worthy of honorable memory. Though she saw her seven sons perish, within a single day she bore it with good courage because of her hope in the Lord. She encouraged each of them in the language of their fathers. This would be Hebrew. Filled with a noble spirit, she fired her woman's reasoning with a man's courage and said to them, I do not know how you came into being in my womb. It was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who set in order the elements within each of you. Therefore the Creator of the world, who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things, will in His mercy give life and breath back to you again, since you now forget yourselves for the sake of His laws. Antiochus felt that he was being treated with contempt, and he was suspicious of her reproachful tone. The youngest brother Being still alive, Antiochus not only appealed to him in words, but promised with oaths that he would make him rich and enviable if he would turn from the ways of his fathers, and that he would take him for his friend and entrust him with public affairs. Well, since the young young man would not listen to him at all, the king called the mother to him and urged her to advise the youth to save himself. After much urging on his part, she undertook to persuade her son. But leaning close to him, she spoke in their native tongue as follows, deriding the cruel tyrant. My son, have pity on me. I carried you nine months in my womb, and nursed you for three years, and have reared you, and brought you up to this point in your life. 
and of taking care of you. I beseech you, my child, to look at the heaven and the earth and see everything that is in them and recognize that God did not make them out of the things that existed. And thus also mankind comes into being. Do not fear this butcher, but prove worthy of your brothers. Accept death, so that in God's mercy I may get you back again with your brothers. Well, while she was still speaking, the young man said, What are you waiting for? I will not obey the king's command, but I obey the command of the law that was given to our fathers through Moses. But you, who have contrived all sorts of evil against the Hebrews, will certainly not escape the hands of God. For we are suffering because of our own sins, and if our living Lord is angry for a little while to rebuke and discipline us, he will again be reconciled with his own servants. But you, unholy wretch, you most defiled of men, do not be elated in vain and puffed up by uncertain hopes when you raise your hand against the children of heaven. You have not yet escaped the judgment of the almighty, all-seeing God, for our brothers are enduring a brief suffering. After enduring it, they've drunk of ever-flowing life under God's covenant, but you, by the judgment of God, will receive just punishment for your arrogance. I, like my brothers, give up body and life for the laws of our fathers, appealing to God to show mercy soon to our nation, and by afflictions and plagues to make you confess that he alone is God, and through me and my brothers to bring to an end the wrath of the Almighty which has justly fallen on our whole nation." The king fell into a rage and handled him worse than the others, being exasperated at his scorn. And so he died in his integrity, putting his whole trust in the Lord. And last of all, the mother died after her sons. Let this be enough, then, about the eating of sacrifices and the extreme tortures." That's the end of the account. Or, in the words of Hebrews 11.35, as we conclude, think about these words. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might attain to a better resurrection.